So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey everybody, welcome back to Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. We're excited to have you here with us. My name is Andrew Jordan. And I'm Emily. And we have some really cool guests here with us today. We'll get to introducing them real quick. Uh, Just to remind you, we here at Outpost of Heaven, our goal is to help you find realistic ways to apply the teachings of Jesus Christ to make your home more centered on Him and on His teachings. And so we try and deal with kind of gritty issues about, um, you know, like what the gospel of Jesus Christ looks like in the real world. Um, And so today we're really excited to to cover a really controversial topic, but a topic that's very present in today's society. Yeah, I think it's a very tender topic. It's very real. We're talking about anxiety and depression and um, how people are feeling with it, how they cope with it, what can we do as people that maybe don't feel these things, and how are we like when we have others in our life how can we help them, basically? Yeah. And as you know, um, our area of expertise is not this issue. So we brought right. we brought on two wonderful experts <laughs> to help us out. Could you introduce each other real quick? Sure. I guess I will start. So um, I, well, my name is Lee, Kenny Kenny, um, but I'm going to introduce my wife. Her name is Liana. And Liana is a mid-level provider. She's a nurse practitioner in family practice. So she received her doctorate at the University of Utah. And she sees a wide range of clients in her practice mm-hmm. that uh, have all types of issues. But it seems like there's always been a rise in anxiety and depression anyways. So, um, and she's been practicing for years. Seven. Yeah. Wow. Um, can I ask you a quick question? Mm-hmm. So do you think that there is a rise in anxiety and depression or that people are just talking about it more i think that we're more aware more aware but i also think that there are some environmental things that are contributing to the the seeming rise Mm -hmm. in depression and anxiety um so maybe like a combo it's a combination i think teenagers these days are growing up in a pretty hostile world uh, especially with social media and the effects that it has on them Mm -hmm. so yeah okay yeah, that's oh, great. yeah. Okay, <laughs> my turn to introduce. Okay, yeah. so um, Let my us name. Know all about Lee. Yes. Yeah. So this is Lee Kinney Kinney, and he is a um, a licensed counselor, and he got his master's um, in two thousand and nine. Because that's when I started. Two thousand and nine. I waited to get my doctorate until he finished his yeah. degree. So you <laughs> but, get, get a little yes. bit past him. Yeah. yeah. You're like, now, <laughs> now it's my turn. Now that he's ahead, I have to get a higher degree. Yeah. Now. It's a competition. <laughs> She'll win every time. I just. Um, so with his. Um, background he has been a counselor though since 2003 uh, working with families inside their home uh, helping children Um, currently he's the director of smarter parenting which is a online uh, format to help parents provide resources and do coaching Mm -hmm. so and you guys um, also have a podcast right smarter parenting does have a podcast yeah yeah so go look that up yeah we'll put it in the show notes as well okay 
So, yeah, that's our introduction. And he's he's excellent. He actually does that um, online program, but he does also see clients right now for depression and anxiety. Okay. Um, so we actually share clients on occasion. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we kind of get like a cool balance, like the therapy and, the, and medication the medicine. experience. Yeah. So yeah. you guys are very lucky to have this, have I guess we're very lucky to have them on and you're also very lucky to have about. access to yeah. such good information. <laughs> yeah. So we're excited. This is why we love having guests on because we have like zero experience in anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say zero, but pretty right. low. We're pretty yeah. low in but the But we get to find these great you. guests that have so much knowledge. So thank you guys for joining us. Absolutely. Okay. So um, the other day I put something on Instagram um, in my stories to kind of ask for some listener feedback. Um regarding anxiety and depression. So I'd like to first kind of dive into the responses that we had, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay, so... One first of, off, thank you guys, everybody who responded on yes, our, um, so our Instagram story. Um, it was very obvious very quickly that a lot of people are interested in this topic. It's by far the most response we've gotten on anything regarding the podcast. So hopefully this is going to be good. Yeah. Okay. So the first question that I had asked was, what triggers your anxiety and depression? So I'll just read a few of the um, responses, of course, keeping this completely confidential. Um, some of those responses were feeling out of control of my situation, um, feeling like I have no purpose, fear of the unknown, stress, 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 tons of stress, making choices, comparing myself to others, having to drive a car, fluorescent lighting, and breaking a routine. Um, so, I mean, some of those range from very, I feel like, relatable things like feeling out of control to other things like fluorescent lighting or driving a car is like, oh, that could be an interesting thing to cause or to trigger yeah. um, something like anxiety. Um, and then the next question that I had asked was, how are you trying to cope with your own anxieties and depression? And the responses were very much kind of the same. Um Lots of voicing it, meditation, deep breathing. Um, and then there were a couple of more specific things like journaling, staying off social media, setting tangible goals, and turning to God. Um, what I thought was really interesting from a poll that I had done was that 71% of people said that they are not confident in how to help their loved ones cope with anxiety or depression. Which I was comforted by that because i am definitely solidly in that 71 percent and so knowing that like okay i'm not the only one who doesn't know what i'm doing right and i feel like there's no like magic thing you can say Mm -hmm. that can fit every person Mm -hmm. because people are also different and they want to be treated differently so i think it's not surprising that so many people are not confident in how to help but hopefully one of the reasons we wanted to do this uh, do this podcast is kind of understanding what is anxiety what is depression like where is the balance between medication needing medication and therapy and just needing to you know suck it up and and deal with it like so like and so kind of understanding it better we're hoping will help us uh, like emily and me and then also our (laughs) listeners be able to to help ourselves if we're dealing with that or help our loved ones who are are going through that yeah wonderful So first, can we talk about the difference maybe between having anxiety and feeling anxious or stressed? Because I feel like I feel anxious or stressed very often, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say that I have anxiety. No. I don't yeah. feel like it's to that point yet, but I don't know what that point is. So maybe like, what's the difference? So I can respond for the mental health side and uh-huh. then I'll let my wife talk about the medical side. Okay. 
but that for mental health, when somebody comes in and they have uh, anxiety or they report they have anxiety, mm-hmm. what I'm looking for is how does it affect their daily functioning? Okay. Like, are they able to function in their daily lives um, well enough that they can learn some coping skills that they can continue functioning. Mm-hmm. So uh, anxiety can present in a lot of different ways, but for mental health, that's what we're looking for. And we're also looking for longevity. Like how long have you been feeling this way and how long has it interfered with your ability to function daily? Okay. Does that make sense? <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I guess I'm, let me ask a couple of follow-up questions. Sure. Um, so I'm thinking about like, so there are some activities or environments that induce stress like Mm -hmm. being for us right now we're college students right so pretty much every day is stressful because there's always like some deadline or something coming up and so there's there's, and there's tons of pressure to to perform at a high high level i mean that's i guess that's most spheres there's there's stress to perform at high levels right um so like if you're feeling stress over a long period Mm-hmm. Would you I mean like is that anxiety or what? So it would be uh, consistently feeling anxiety over a long period of time where it interferes with your daily functioning. Gotcha. So, so you have this like lots of things to do or these deadlines, but you're not really performing to that. Yeah, it's debilitating. Debilitating. Yeah. Like Can you that. explain what that is a little bit more like debilitating? What is like what does it mean to to inhibit your ability to perform your your daily tasks? So if uh, at least so just responding for, from clients that mm-hmm. I've worked with, the debilitation comes as their inability to get out of bed or to eat or to communicate or interact with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, with anxiety and depression, there's this sense of isolation that makes it worse. And so when I'm asking questions, I'm asking how long, how severe does it interfere daily? And are you isolating? Mm-hmm. Because if the isolation is consistently strong, it tends to spiral out of control a lot faster. Okay. Does that and mean? in multiple yeah. situations, too. Mm-hmm. So not just at home, not just at yeah. work, not just at school. It's in multiple situations where that is occurring. Yeah. So it's like maybe that if you're feeling this at work, it's like spilling into the other phases or the other mm-hmm. like facets of your life. And it's affecting all of it. Okay. So like a lot of people can... Um, feel the anxiety in school for example like you guys mm-hmm. however they can come home and they can let it go let it go and okay. they can be okay and function well yeah. uh-huh. what we're talking about is more anxiety that bleeds over into every aspect of their life they wake up with anxiety they live with it then they go to sleep with it mm-hmm. or try to sleep with it and then they wake up the next morning and it's it's just always Relief. there yeah. yeah okay yeah um, what would you have to say about this from a medical standpoint, Liana? Usually when I'm seeing patients, mm-hmm. it is at the point where it's affecting their life because they're okay. expressing it. Right. Um, so <clears throat> usually that's after they've seen a counselor sometimes um, or where they've tried some other things mm-hmm. to help. I do feel like there is a genetic predisposition in some cases, either... Maybe not so much genetic, but <clears throat> if they were raised by an anxious mom, they develop anxiety. Mm-hmm. Or if they were raised <clears throat> in a family dynamic that was very traumatic to them, you know, they can have some depression and anxiety. Um, so I feel like there are lots of factors that contribute mm-hmm. and that predispose somebody to uh, depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
if you look back, taking it back to the gospel setting, mm-hmm. some of our um, leaders of the church have talked about depression and anxiety recently, mm-hmm. and some of them have expressed that they deal with that too. <clears throat> so I feel like uh, it has been a taboo topic in the past, and I feel like anxiety and depression both um, are becoming more acceptable to talk about. Mm-hmm. We're more aware of it now, but it does become those depression. It's actually classified as depression and anxiety after it is affecting their life in multiple okay. ways, mm-hmm. multiple issues, and over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and or a short period of time if it's pretty severe. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that that distinction helps clarify it for me that it's like debilitating and it applies. It goes it is present in all aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. Like that's a kind of a clear distinction for me because yeah. I, I because, feel like, oh, go ahead. No, I totally interrupted. Uh, I was saying like, I, I've, I feel like I deal with like intense stress in certain aspects of my life, but then mm-hmm. I'm able to go into a different aspect of my life and I'm mm-hmm. totally fine. Mm-hmm. And like, I find relief often in like in those other aspects of mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you, you can't find that relief mm-hmm. in those other aspects. Like those other aspects are kind of invaded by the anxiety or mm-hmm. that, the stress induced by that whatever source it is in your life mm-hmm. right absolutely awesome so um what you sorry <laughs> <laughs> so um something that lee brought up was that he wanted to talk about was what can therapy and medication mm-hmm. do and not do for a person right with anxiety or yeah i think that that's like the magic uh question because mm-hmm. a lot of people come into therapy and um their expectations are not realistic with what they've been dealing with. Usually somebody comes into therapy after having experienced anxiety and depression for a long period of time. And so they're looking for immediate change to happen in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And it, it does require work um, and time to deal with those things and then move them into a state where they can um, exercise skills to deal with the anxiety and the depression. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that absolutely is one of the things that if somebody comes and sees me, we set expectations on where you should be in three weeks, where you should Mm. be in six weeks. And we measure our progress based on the goals that we set at the initial uh, meeting that we have for therapy. So therapy is kind of like physical therapy in the sense that it's all about just extended, uh, like, developing strength over time it's not really about like going in and like cutting things and making things fit right it's all about like developing that mm-hmm. strength and and flexibility or whatever it is absolutely through natural like kind of self-induced methods i i know I, so i'm using this example because my father's a physical therapist right. and i've worked at his clinic frequently so mm-hmm. That makes sense mm-hmm. to me a lot. Yeah, it you know, uh, when you're learning how to deal with these things, it does take time because the default is to fall back into anxiety and depression. And so that's why it's going to take some time to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, get out of it. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Were you gonna say I was just going to say it's like emotional boot camp. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a real emotional uh it is work it's really work yeah Mm -hmm. um we've had that conversation a lot like people go in thinking oh i'm just gonna talk to somebody and i don't have to do anything but it actually is they give you homework yeah and things to do yeah you know with uh, clients of mine i'm always on call for them they can call me during the week i usually give them daily assignments 
and I'll follow up with those daily assignments. They have to text me and let me know when they're done. Mm -hmm. And that way, it's at the forefront of how we can influence that. Because usually going to therapy, you're there for an hour, you know. And so that actually is the planning stage. But the real work happens during therapy, but also during the week. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, now I'm not... Every therapist and other therapists Mm -hmm. will do it in different ways. Mm -hmm. But what I found most effective is to be able to keep the communication open the entire week, every day, Mm -hmm. so we can start working in how they can use what we've talked about in their daily lives. Because therapy is all about developing better habits. Right. right? And coping skills. Right. You can't develop coping skills or any Mm -hmm. kind of habits in an hour a week. No. No. It has to be like something you're doing every day. You can can use it as a planning session, as kind Mm -hmm. of a springboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something that we've talked about a lot, uh, how I feel like so many people that I interact with, especially younger people are just terrible at coping. Um, and I, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just like, honestly, I just feel like, like, well. I feel like a lot of people really struggle with this. And I feel like we, a lot of people have crutches and they're like, and sometimes you get put in situations where you can't use that crutch anymore or that crutch becomes worse than the, the worse than the problem you're trying to address. Yeah. Um, like, do you think that this like inability to cope has to do with, um, you know, like what my grandpa always says, says like everyone in my generation is a snowflake and they're like, they're <laughs> too soft or is it more to, is it like something like the, this generation just doesn't have the skills or it, is it that the situation, like the environment has gotten more intense. We talked about a little bit mm-hmm. about it already. Yeah. But I feel like these coping mechanisms for for a lot of people, the the mechanisms they have right now are not adequate. Mm-hmm. You, uh, well, do you want to respond to that or should I? I well, for from mental health, at least from my perspective, in the generation, it has it seems like things have increased as far as severity. Like I used to work with probation kids, where we would deal with um, issues that were manageable. And then as time has progressed, 10 years later, working with probation kids, the issues that they have actually are harder. I mean, it seems like they're more intense. The offenses are a lot more severe than they were 10 years ago. So it's been interesting to see that dynamic change, you know. Um, And for me, you know, are they not having, do they not have the skills I think that's part of it. I think the I think there's multiple things that contribute to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the environment that we've created for youth is a lot more difficult. Yeah. You know, um, when I went to school, there was no social media. Now we have a daughter who's in school. Social media exists. There's a lot of comparison mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of you can literally count how many people approve you exactly. versus somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah. Or, well, she, or she sees other people got invited to a party that she didn't get invited to. Yeah. Whereas before you just didn't know. Yeah, you, did yeah, you know. just didn't yeah. know, right? And so I think there's a, yeah. Yeah. a lot of contributing uh, factors to that. I think there's also an aspect of parents who, um, out of love, want to protect and save their kids, but don't allow them to experience failure mm-hmm. or experience mm-hmm. life the way that they should. And so, um, and that's, that's not a negative thing because I, I think parents intentionally want to protect, mm-hmm. but sometimes when we overprotect, it 
doesn't allow our children to learn those the skills. Yeah. yeah, like the resilience. Parenting is hard. Like it all, is. It is. And we all make mistakes. Yeah. So, yes. um, right. We actually we talked um, in a previous episode with Lee about yeah. this, the Lee and his daughter about developing autonomy. So we, we will mm-hmm. link that if that's something you're interested in, kind mm-hmm. of talking right. more or hearing a really deep, thorough discussion about. Can I ask a question back to therapy and yes, medication? medication sure. Yeah. So at what point? Because in my brain, this is how it works it's like you have an a mental issue or problem and then you like it gets to the point where you just need to talk to someone so you go to therapy and therapy maybe isn't working as quickly as you want it to or it's not doing what you expected so you get medication Mm -hmm. is that really like the process or is it more like varied than that it's varied I, I sometimes see patients before they consider counseling. Okay. Um, so they'll come to a primary care provider like myself and mm-hmm. say, okay, this is what's happening. Where do we go from here? And they are desperate in many situations. Mm-hmm. What I like to explain to my patients, and it's different for everybody and everybody has their own explanation, but the medications are, they affect you chemically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Anything that you take chemically is going to affect you chemically, and there might be side effects. And not every medication is going to work the same for every person. Right. So it is kind of a guessing game. Um, so the medications um, do affect you neuro, um, in, internally, and hopefully will raise your mood and bring down the anxiety. That's mm-hmm. that's the hope. That's the goal. But it cannot change the situational things that occur right. outside of you, and that's where therapy comes into play. Mm-hmm. I tell okay. my patients the best bang for your buck is medication plus Plus therapy therapy. at the same time because then you'll be learning the coping skills you'll be also taking a medication that's hopefully helping Mm -hmm. and then we reassess in two weeks and four weeks and three months and six months and if at that point they have made good improvement and they're feeling really well and they don't want to take the medication anymore then we can try them off gradually wean them off Mm -hmm. um sometimes people are like i my life has changed completely i can function great now um and and so they want to stay on the medicine and we just monitor over time okay um so what can medication do for some people it's great for others i've had patients who have been on five different medications and each one of them have caused a problem Mm -hmm. and they prefer not to be on medicine in those situations we talk about non-medicinal ways Mm -hmm. to help yoga you know self-care um mindfulness yeah Yeah, um so it's not for everybody Mm -hmm. yeah i think we both agree on that aspect that the combination of the two is super helpful and with the medication piece of it I mean, sometimes the medication will give somebody that extra uh, strength to function enough that they can learn the skills. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a balancing act between the two. But if you if you really want power in mm-hmm. treatment, you want to do both. Mm-hmm. You know, and some people just want to go to one or do the other, and that's fine. But if you really want to get the help you need, both is is best. So imagine you're talking to a friend or somebody you know. Um, outside of a professional situation, mm-hmm. um, and they're telling you about their emotional situation, um, what would tell or what would convince you to to recommend them to go to either therapy or medicine or to like just kind of start trying to work on things on their own? 
So for me, it's the severity of the symptoms. So if it's a symptom where they cannot get out of bed, they cannot even focus enough to learn coping skills, then I recommend they go see a medical professional to get some medication so they can at least get to a point where we can start working on those things. Mm-hmm. But that's that's mm-hmm. when they come to me and I refer out. And then she usually gets, well, you can explain yeah, how no. you, like she, she'll get a patient come in and automatically report all these things and they want meds right away. Mm-hmm. And then she makes the recommendation, well, we'll get you on something, but you should get counseling too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of uh, the combination exactly. between the two. Um, if somebody expresses any suicidal thoughts yeah. or homicidal thoughts or hurting themselves in either uh, eating disorder or in those types of things, if they are willing or some kind of addiction, mm-hmm. those are emergent situations. Yeah. Okay. I would like to say, like, for eating disorders, I always recommend out to medical mm-hmm. professionals. I do not. Um, and that is the recommendation for mm-hmm. therapists. If somebody has an eating disorder, because they're not receiving enough nutrients for their brain to function. Right. So we need to treat that first, and then we can focus on coping skills after. Mm-hmm. And when we say medical professionals, you mean go to somewhere and, and receive medication? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are specific clinics that deal like with yeah. eating. There's and, a lot in Salt yeah, Lake. <laughs> in Salt Lake with eating disorders or with suicidality. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody reports they're suicidal, mm-hmm. I immediately you know, refer them over to uni or or someplace that can watch them and monitor them so we can get that balance in there. But for people who are not expressing that, it may Mm -hmm. be just some milder symptoms. I usually refer to counseling and Mm self-care if this is the first time that they've experienced it. But there are situations like we're going to talk about where life changes and people all of a sudden Mm -hmm. get these symptoms out of nowhere they feel like. I I think a lot of people, the biggest question that they probably have, at least that I get a lot, is, okay, you're making recommendations for both, but how much does that cost? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, Like, how expensive? Yeah, exactly. And it's tricky because insurance is is hard here in the United States in covering, and some people don't have coverage. And so what what kind of help do you get? And Counseling Weekly adds up where you could just take a pill... Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the pill is generic and cheap. And it lets you function a little bit. Yeah. So you know. some people are like, I'm not ready for therapy yet. I can't afford it yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm so in those situations, I do uh, recommend some other things to them if they can't. Maybe I'll follow up mm-hmm. with them a little more mm-hmm. often. Or So what are the other things you would recommend then? If they can't afford therapy yeah. or don't yes. have access to that, what are some of the like maybe like at home type remedies. (laughs) There are a lot of self-help books with depression and anxiety. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I've recommended that, you know, watching their sleep because sleep for people is huge. huge. Um, Are you getting enough sleep? How much time are you spending on social media? Are you, (laughs) I have a patient that was telling me he works a hundred hours a week. And I'm like, when do you find time to take care of yourself? That's probably why you're having some anxiety and depression because you you need to st- slow down, mm-hmm. you know, breathe uh, breathe the fresh air and yeah. all of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So I told him, look, we could start some medication, but I don't know that it would be as helpful as maybe taking a vacation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> taking up 20 hours yeah. a week. Yeah. Right. So... Um, <clears throat> You know, those would be just looking at their life circumstances and making some recommendations that way. For a lot of women, I do recommend, or or people who haven't been active, it doesn't matter, men or women, but, you know, physical activity gives you natural 
endorphins mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that then make you feel well. Yeah. So those are all different kinds of things. I feel like we had several people respond uh, to our Instagram polls and questions specifically about postpartum depression. Oh, yes. oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can we address that maybe a little bit, like the role of medication like and therapy? Kind of a different. It is, it is a different animal. Thing. Holy yeah. cow! <laughs> <laughs> it is a different animal because you're dealing with a lot of um, hormones, hormones <laughs> mm-hmm. that are changing and perceptions and support yeah. systems. And but I'll let you talk about it because I'm not a woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll come back to you yeah. dealing with someone that has it. Yeah. So postpartum is um, underdiagnosed. For one, mm-hmm. and um, under-recognized by a lot of people as well. Like, uh, So underdiagnosed by professionals, but unrecognized by the person going through mm-hmm. it as well. And I think, you know, a lot of it is hormonal related. The hormones are fluctuating hugely yeah. after pregnancy. So a person who may not have had depression or anxiety before pregnancy, and then they have this huge hormonal fluctuation, may experience it after, especially if they're predisposed to it. Mm-hmm genetically or by trauma or some other issue um if it's affecting their ability to care for themselves and their baby they need to come in Mm -hmm. medication can help to help them get through it and you know six months seven months eight months nine months we usually take it per person and what they're going through there's no like fixed time fixed time or anything like that and i've heard i don't know like the accuracy of this but i've heard that it can even you can be totally fine and Mm -hmm. then like nine months postpartum suddenly you have postpartum depression Mm -hmm. yes how is that possible a lot of it is related to sleep deprivation (laughs) (laughs) sleep deprivation and how much support that they have in the home their expectations of pregnancy and uh, their expectations as a mother and how much they were expecting different support to come in mm-hmm. and help, like if their partner is not helping as much as they had hoped, mm-hmm. or you know, there's a lot of different factors, or maybe they're helping too much and mm-hmm. not feeling mm-hmm. any control. So, so is postpartum depression more a chemical thing or more like a coping mechanism expectation thing? It's a combination. Mm-hmm. I think, it definitely yeah. is a combination, okay. but usually, usually triggered by a hormonal change. I know when, uh, so if somebody comes in with postpartum and we're dealing with that, then there's definitely a focus on expectations, but also on their thought process. There's an additional level of guilt that's Mm -hmm. on top of that because women are caregivers. At least the perception is that they should be able to care for this child that they've carried for nine months Mm -hmm. and now the child is in some cases repulsive to them (laughs) right Mm -hmm. and they're just like i cannot deal with this thing that i gave birth to and yet and so there's that level of guilt like Mm -hmm. i should be loving loving to this thing like why isn't Mm -hmm. this the bliss that i was expecting exactly the best time of my life you know (laughs) yeah exactly and so it's dealing with some of those expectations and for me it's always back to thought process like what are you, what are your thoughts about this because your thoughts dictate how you feel and then your actions behind it and i always give the example okay we get that you love your child but even in the airplane you have to put the mask on you first before you give it to the child why is that because that's just it's better for everybody if you take care of yourself for a bit yeah. because once the mask is on the mm-hmm. baby 
once you pass out, the baby can't put the mask exactly, on you. Exactly, so. <laughs> exactly. So it's really, really important to take care of it. So I think later, we're going to talk a little bit later about how to help loved ones dealing with this. But I want to talk, ask a postpartum depression question specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can the husband or the, the other partner do, partner, like, for a situation? Like, what can I do if Emily's feeling postpartum depression? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, like, she's talking and I can see like the fallacies in her, in her logic. I can see like, right. like these are not realistic expectations or like right. you are like, you just contradicted yourself in like in the same sentence mm-hmm. about like what should be going on and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So like what is a healthy way for me to engage that, to help her mm-hmm. kind of deal with that? Cause I can't prescribe her medicine, but I can help maybe mm-hmm. help her kind of see the fallacies in her logic or right. accept better expectations. I mean, right. I think the obvious answer is help. Like help yes. out more, but a little bit more than that. What can I do besides that? You know, I think that there is an aspect that's super important for uh, couples, like wives and husbands, to understand that their our brains are wired and function very differently, which is for the benefit of of children and for families. You know, mm-hmm. and so for a guy to be able to step back and not judge and not provide a solution is huge. So hard, though. I know. So hard. You just want to be like, fix it. And I, Here's a tool, fix it. And the idea that you cannot fix it, you know, you need to be able to be open to that mm-hmm. and to be able to just step back and not not provide any judgment and just know, okay, this is something you're going through. I get it. I'm just here. Whatever you need, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And then the other part is to take initiative mm-hmm. and not wait for them to tell you what to do, but mm-hmm. actually take the initiative to kind of foresee what their needs may be mm-hmm. as a husband. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've seen in some friends of mine that the woman doesn't recognize it mm-hmm. first. The husband yeah, does. The husband yes. He will be the one to say, like, I think you might need to get some yeah. help. Yeah. And yeah. And a lot of times when I'm seeing a patient with postpartum, they are coming with their spouse. Mm-hmm. And this, I tell the spouse, I'm like, I'm going to start this medication. We're going to you know, try some different things. But you're going to be the gauge. <laughs> so you come back with her and let me know how it's going. Yeah. Because she may not be realizing what's happening. And in a lot of times, um, very lovingly, I think the partner can do as you said and say, Hey, you're doing great. This yeah. is, but I'm hearing this from you. Tell me what's going on in your, and you know, it, it, communication is huge. Exploring the emotions of what's going on, not fixing it all the time, right. but just listening and letting her process. Just um, validating the yeah. whole process that she's going through. And just knowing that, yeah, this is a great opportunity for you guys to build mm-hmm. your communication skills. I mean, yeah, it really is a great time. Because mm-hmm. once she feels supported by you, you know, um, in the long run, your relationship will be a hundred times better. <laughs> and so her anxiety will likely decrease. It will decrease, yeah, as she feels understood and listened to. Mm-hmm. And so at what point should a couple reach out to medical professionals mm-hmm. for help with postpartum depression? Yeah. Is the same thing? Just like same thing if it's affecting... Debilitating. Yeah, debilitating, affecting her care of herself or her baby. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Which is there so will hard. be days. Yeah. But if it's like consistent every day for weeks at a time, right? you know, then that's, yeah. that's different. I feel like it's so hard um, thinking about our first child, like realizing, okay, what is 
uh, like setting appropriate expectations to be able mm-hmm. to realize like I'm not able to actually take care of myself or my baby in the way I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be able to. And so, yeah. because, uh, I don't know, especially for first time parents, like you don't really mm-hmm. know what to expect as much, right. which kind of brings me to the next question I wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. Do you find postpartum to be, uh, more common with any, like with first with first time parents or with second time parents or is there no correlation? Is just kind of all over the board. I don't. I haven't. Seen I haven't cor- read the studies on that, but no. I, in my own experience, I've seen. It usually starts with a second child for some reason. Oh, I don't really. Know. <laughs> but I have seen it with the first baby, in severe situations, and then it gets worse with subsequent babies. So they know what to watch for. Mm-hmm. They know how to identify it easier after they've been diagnosed the first time. But it, it does seem to happen subsequently with each baby. Interesting. Um, what is the difference between baby blues mm-hmm. and maybe postpartum depression? Because I feel like after Hiram, so I had like a traumatic birth with Hiram, mm-hmm. and then I cried nonstop mm-hmm. for like three weeks. It was fun. Like without breathing. I just like sobbed. <laughs> and I remember going to my like checkup, and I just like sat on the table and I just cried. Mm-hmm. And my doctor grabbed me by the shoulders and she was like, Emily, do you have postpartum depression? Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she looked at me and she's like, well, we'll keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just baby blues. Yeah. But like at three weeks, like that's a that's, long time. That is I a long think. time. But it, end, it ended up going away Fair. after that. That's good. But like... Maybe you can explain maybe the difference between just having some baby blues versus mm-hmm. like needing to get on medication. On medication I think something. your doctor was probably confident in your ability to communicate with her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was less uh, worried that you would not reach out to her if you felt like you needed the help. Mm-hmm. Um, baby blues is basically a mild form of postpartum is basically what it is. Okay. Um, not one where she's worried that you're going to hurt yourself or the baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. Postpartum is more severe in that nature mm-hmm. where they're worried about your nutrition. They're worried about, is the baby getting enough nutrition? Is the baby failing to thrive? Is a baby not growing because mom is depressed? Okay. Are the other children in the family, if this is a multiple child issue, are the other children being taken care of? Mm-hmm. Um, is a mom having thoughts of hurting any of the children? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, it's more severe in that okay. nature. So baby yeah. blues is, See, is I, I kind never, of a low mood. Right. I never worried that she was going to hurt the children. There were a couple of times I was worried that I was going to hurt the children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the hormones. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's, that's like acceptable losses, though, I guess, in the mind. Severe PMS. It's like, we don't want children to get hurt, but if the husband gets hurt, like, it's acceptable. <laughs> yeah. right. And you guys are young, but another time a woman goes through this is menopause. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. That. <laughs> oh. so, we well, let me that. tell you about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, as you get older, I mean, you know, every month a woman goes through these hormone fluctuations. Mm-hmm. It's just more severe after pregnancy and then again at menopause. Depending on if a woman has had a hysterectomy, which is like if they have a total hysterectomy, they are immediately, all their hormones are gone that they had. And so you can mm-hmm. imagine... The response that a woman's emotional psyche takes, mm-hmm. it's severe. Wow. Um, I had to have that for, and it, I was, you know, before this, I was like, yeah, sure, I, I understand what that is. No, it is severe. <laughs> <laughs> when you actually go through it, it's, it's 
crazy. Well, I think this is going to wrap up part one of our awesome conversation with the Kinney Kinneys. Um, we kind of talked a lot about what depression is, what anxiety is, what when to go get medical help, what counseling is, when to use uh, medications. Or therapy, or both. And I think this was very, this was very helpful to me, um, and very factual, and uh, I, I really an appreciate eye opening, it. Yeah, and, yeah and very eye opening. Part two, which is coming next week, is more about how to help others, how this all kind of fits into the gospel perspective. Mm-hmm. So please stick around for that. That'll be next week. Um, Let us know what you guys think. Please subscribe, share, rate, review, all those good things. Yes, and find us on Instagram. We're at Outpost of Heaven. We love to engage with you and make some new friends. All right, keep the faith. Bye. Thank you.